these last couple of weeks, um, last two weeks, I've been having conversations with different people via email, face-to-face, Skype, some people in California, some people up in the Northeast. And after we get done with our agenda, I ask, how well do you know your neighbors? And they kind of pause a little bit and say, what do you mean? And I want to ask that question to all of us today. Um, And for those of us who are visual, this is what I want to throw out there for us, that we are living in the middle. That is our apartment. That is our home. That is our mansion. That is our shack. Whatever works for you, go with it. So I wonder how many of us, and the people around us, by the way, are our neighbors. So across the hall, across the street, at the corner, whatever works in your context. So a question I ask is, I wonder how many in this room know their neighbor by name? First and fat and last name, if that works. And how many of us would maybe know one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight? So just kind of do the work in your head. At least eight folks that you've been living next door to. And you can say first name, last name. For number two, my question would be, how many of you guys know something about your neighbor that goes a little bit deeper than superficial? And what I mean by that is, you know more than they drive a black car. It's not something that you perceive or that you know out of perception, but something a little bit deeper, like maybe what they do. He's a lawyer. Or he blogs for a living. Or he travels or he works for the government. Or he creates really cool applications for, for mobile um, sites. How many of those could you answer there? And then for number three, I would ask, how many of us know something really deep and personal about our neighbor? Did they have a mom who passed away? Is their dad retired? Maybe what their fears in life are? Perhaps their spiritual standing? What do they think? What do they don't think? What do they believe? What are they against? What are they for? What are they passionate about? I was pretty blown away as I started to literally log all this these last couple weeks of these conversations. Most people, and you might be an anomaly, and if so, thumbs up. But most people could answer only a few of number one. First name less people could answer a little bit more in depth and literally there was one person out of maybe 22 conversations that I had that could answer the question about something really close and personal and in depth. So we're beginning a new teaching today and it's called Weird. It's called Weird because it seems that loving our neighbor It seems that it's kind of an anomaly. Loving our neighbor, and you got to give me a little bit of time here, loving our neighbor the way Jesus says. 
to love our neighbor, it seems like it's an anomaly. It seems like most people don't do it. And this isn't a message for you to walk out of here beat down. Not at all. This is a message where we want to expose what God says. We walk out of here refreshed and encouraged. And we do life with each other. But it's weird to hear some stories of reaching out, putting life on pause, giving when it doesn't make sense. So the question we're going through is, or or what we're posing is, it's weird, but somehow it works. It does. It works really well. And we're going to go through this teaching series for for the next couple weeks, and we're going to see how life can change for us. For us, that includes me. I don't have it nailed down. I am not an expert at this. But guess what? We see what he says, Jesus. Ah, and we, we want to we run with it. So if you are a note taker, whether that be on, on a little note card that we might have somewhere close to you, um, then grab a note card and a pen. That's my encouragement. Um, or if you're a note taker on your smartphone, on your iPhone, then go ahead and do that. If you've got any other device that's not an iPhone, I'm sorry. Um, and the, the title for today's message is In a Single Sentence. So maybe this jogs your memory for a little bit later in the week. In a Single Sentence. And we get this from a letter that was written in the New Testament by a guy, his name was Paul, and he writes to a church similar to Love and Motion. They are the Galatians because they live in a place called Galatia. And this is what Paul says to the people in the church. So it's kind of like a letter, and we're opening up the letter for Love and Motion today, all right? And this is what Paul says. He says, everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. You ready? And the single sentence is love others as you love yourself. Chew on that for just a moment, if you will. The weight of what Paul's saying here, the entirety of God's word. The Bible that maybe you've seen on coffee tables or you have somewhere. He says the entirety of it can be summed up in one sentence. And he says, love your neighbors, love others as you love yourself. It sounds pretty tight, right? I mean, there's not a lot of loopholes in there. If you're anything like me, though, we love loopholes, right? But did he really mean love others? Like all others or a certain type of others? And does that really apply to me? I mean, come on, Pollo. It's 2014. How do we love others if the world is full of chaos and it's ridiculous and it's horrible? I mean, that can't be for me today. And there's no way it can be summed up. There are 60 plus books in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. There's no way he nailed it down by that. Well, let's chew on it. Let's take it. Let's let the word run after us with feet and grab onto us with its hands. And I think a, a super wise question would be to ask, what is love in the first place, right? I mean, 
maybe your perception of love is different than my perception, and then this is where I'd say, hit pause and let's see what the Bible says love is. Does that make sense? Is it butterflies in our tummy? Is it the feeling that you get when somebody gives you a gift that you really didn't expect? Is it sitting across the table having a breakfast pizza? I mean, what is love? There's got to be a plumb line, right? There's got to be something that we measure everything against. And at Love in Motion, the plumb line is God's word. There is no kind of gray, well, I, it's God's word. He speaks and things happen. Darkness, light, separate. He speaks. He holds the stars in place. He speaks. It's power. It's alive. It cuts to the very center of us. So what is love? So the word that Paul uses here is agapao. And the type of love that Paul is talking about is not butterflies in your tummy. It's not the feeling that you get when you share a pizza with somebody, even though those could be mingled in there. But bottom line, the love that he's talking about is this. When you put others before yourself, that is the love that he's talking about. Sometimes we confuse love with, I don't have time to be anybody's BFF. Don't bring anybody into my life. I'm busy as it is. And I've got an agenda. And I'm moving on in life. And things are cooking. Good. It's awesome. It's God's blessing on your life. But what is true love? If Paul says that we can sum up everything with one sentence, and he says love others, that love is putting others before yourself. Let that sink in a little bit. Putting the needs of others above your own needs. Your desires, we put them on pause. That's hard to swallow. But don't you know how much I've worked for and I deserve? Well, perhaps you do, but this kind of love says you put yourself on pause. Because The world doesn't revolve around you, Poyle. And this is where God's word starts to cut a little bit. And we're going to kind of grab onto this a little bit more and see what all this means for us. So our definition for love is right here. Others greater than self before self. So in conversations, some of these are personal and some of these are in conversations. But how can we count love like that at times? And some of the most common obstacles are these. I have nothing in common with them. Which, by the way, is a beautiful thing because if everybody was like you or like me, it'd be extremely boring. Kind of cliche thing to say, but I hear that often. I've said that, but they're nothing like me. I have nothing in common, so they don't deserve my time of day. A little bit selfish, I would say. I'm too busy. My agenda is as full as it could be. Literally, Outlook doesn't let me click on another opening because there are no other openings. I want a return on my investment, Poyo. What's in it for me? You ever ask that? Kind of before you put yourself out there and you make yourself vulnerable and you risk loving What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? What if they never acknowledge? What if I never get a high five? 
What if they don't tag me in their Facebook post? Waste of time? Or is it? They're not as educated as me. <laughs> Boom. I'm working on that one. They don't deserve it. Look at them. Look how messed up their life is. They don't deserve my friendship because I've worked so hard to have everything in line. I'm a great catch. I'm not going to waste my time on that. I don't have anything to offer. This is one of those where it's, it kind of sounds wise and a little bit even humble, but we've all got something to offer. I think that's one of the easiest ones up, up here to play with a little bit, but you've all got something. Amazing talent, amazing ability to sit and just listen and love and embrace. You've got as much time as I do. We make time for our priorities. Other obstacles maybe that we put out there and say, I can't love because of this. One thing that all these have in common, by the way, is that it's all about us. I'm too busy. They're not as educated as I am. Did I get it? Yes. They don't deserve me, my skill, my talent, my time, my treasure. It all revolves around I. How sad is that? That's not how we're told to love. I actually asked somebody over these last couple of weeks about their neighbor, and I asked, do you have a great example of this? And he said, well, my example is actually going to my neighbor and telling him that he makes too much noise and that a couple of us are sick of him. That was her experience. That's how I got to know my neighbor. I mean, I've been there. I've done that. It's sad. It hurts. But what do we do? We're sitting here today. What do we do? If it's not a beat-down message, look how bad we're doing, then what is it? It's a open up our eyes, Jesus. Work in our hearts. Expand our hearts to be able to make an impact. There's a book I read that's called uh, City Transformation. And in it, there's a quote by... Bob Free, who is a retired mayor from Colorado, is up there for 26 years. And he sits together. The context of the quote is he's sitting together in a room full of business leaders, community leaders, nonprofits, everything you can think of, some of the most powerful, influential people in the city. And they're saying, how do we solve things that are going on in the city? And Bob Free says, what if? What if we became a community of good neighbors who loved? So this is a guy who does not work for a church. He just wants to see his city flourish and prosper for the good of the city. And he says, I have an idea. All the programs that we have aren't working. They're not. He says, but I have an idea. 
What if we're just good neighbors? What if we put the needs of others before our own? What if instead of pointing the fingers and saying, you're not good enough or get your act together and then I might consider loving you? What if today, right now, we're good neighbors? What if we love each other? What could that do? Relationships are greater than programs. A relationship can do so much. I'm sorry, a program can do so much. Relationships are progressive. But you know what it takes? Time. Risk. What if you're rejected? That's part of the game. I'm sorry. And it hurts. My family and I have been rejected and hurt when we expose ourselves and we make ourselves vulnerable. And the option at that point is you retreat or you keep cooking, right? But what if it's the relationship? What if it's me going back off into it's not about you, Poyo, in the first place? I've been part of extremely large churches and my number one job, my number one job, don't walk out of here and say, Poyo said large churches are really awful. Please don't do that. My number one job was to create a program. And I had a bunch of budget to do it and a bunch of staff to do it. But guess what? There was no life with people. I had a well, extremely well oil machines machine where thousands of people would come through the door to the program, but there was no life change. There was no loving your neighbor. But you know what it did do for me? I could sit in a meeting on Monday morning and look real good because I could show them a spreadsheet with numbers of how many people showed up. My experience. Relationships supersede the program. What program did Jesus institute? Any you know of? He said, you go be the church. That's it. Not a program. It's a life. It's organic. That's you. And that's me. So I love what if questions. I hope you do too. What if Jesus nailed it? Just go with me for a second. Some in here are, are like to think about things. Love it. You're invited to think and chew and chew and chew on it. But you've got to digest eventually, right? So go with me here for a second. What if Jesus nailed it? What if Jesus was right and the best way to live is truly to put the needs of others before yourself? What if he nailed it and he is a genius as opposed to a lunatic or just a good teacher and he said, this is a way to do it and when you do it like this, people will know you are mine. John 13, 34. What if that's it? It's worth the risk. It's worth the gamble. What if this is a way to drastically change our cities for the better. What if? Worth the risk. Worth the gamble. 
what if we meet people where they're at as opposed to where we want them to be? When people, when I start to form a relation with people and I tell them what I do for a living, they usually say, how big is a church? Or sometimes I'm just having a conversation with people who already know what we're doing. It's like, how many people showed up this week? And that's a beautiful question, except that I think we put too much weight on what happens here on a Sunday morning exclusively, as opposed to us loving our neighbor where they're at. See, we would feel really good if maybe there would be no standing room in this room. And we'd be like, that's a living church. That's amazing and powerful. The problem with that is that Jesus never says, bring the people to the church. He says, go be the church. Go to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Go make people into disciples of Jesus. What does that mean? Be like Jesus. Do what Jesus says. Teach them to obey my ways. But culture has such a tight grip on our thoughts and on our hearts and our emotions that when we don't see that, we see, unfortunately, a failure. And to be honest, it makes it a lot easier, right? Put the pressure on the pastor. He's just not good enough. He doesn't know how to lead. And this is where I say, here you go. This word's for all of us. That responsibility's on my shoulders and it's on yours. You're loving your neighbor? I gotta ask it to myself every day. It's not theory anymore. It's getting out of the classroom. Putting it into action. What if we understood that we can because he already has? This is what I'll end up with is the good news tells us this. The good news says stop trying. That's the refreshing news. There is no more you trying to push the boulder up the mountain. But what if we grasp we are loved today, right now, in this moment you are loved. Jeremiah 31.3, an everlasting love. I'm going to spend some time there. An everlasting love he has for you right now, but you don't know how broken I am and you don't know what happened last night. You don't know what I'm thinking when I was walking up the stairs. He has an everlasting love for us right now. 100% acceptance. Boy, I can't grasp that because I wasn't accepted by my mother. Your mother is not Jesus, and I'm sorry for the pain with that. My boss did this to me and treats me, and I've been physically, emotionally. I'm not trying to water any of that down at all. I'm sorry. But he says, I've already given you everything you need. We need to open up our hand to be able to receive. And we receive and we give with the other one. C.S. Lewis says that when our hands are full of parcels, we can't grab another one because we're so busy with this one. And he's like, here you go. No, let me focus on these. The greatest sin that underlies all other sin is unbelief. He says, you are my son and you are my daughter. Tally that for me, please. 
You are my son and you are my daughter. And with you today, this morning, I am well pleased. And there is an everlasting love. It never fails. I'm with you now. I am never closer than this moment right now. And I believe that we, when we allow that to melt our heart, that will fuel our ability to give. But when, when we don't grasp that truth, when we don't let it do stuff to our heart, then we do life playing with cards really close to our chest because we don't run a risk. Does that make sense? We don't understand how well we are loved now. Not, perf- not, not our performance, but we are loved now. So when we don't understand that and let it grab a hold of our heart, then we say, if I risk, then I'll be hurt. And he's saying, you already, got, you already have everything you need. The tank's full. Don't confuse that with life is perfect. That's not how it's interpreted. You have my love, the love of the Father, and it's an everlasting love. Full acceptance. Full joy. I rejoice over you. Zephaniah 3.17 I rejoice over you right now. Isn't that beautiful? That's why the good news becomes so difficult because it sounds so good that it unfortunately becomes a stumbling block for some. It can't just be that and it is that he loves so much that he laid down his life. There's got to be more to it. There isn't, my friends. So as we continue to move forward in this teaching series, I invite us not to go do more, but to first let your heart be drenched in His love. Remember the cross. Not the piece of jewelry, but the cross. The symbol of death. Tortured, humiliated, crown of thorns, nails piercing hands and feet, stabbed in the side. Remember the cross. Love is the motivation. Let your heart melt in that, please. Jesus, we thank you because you're at work. And we pray that as we continue in this series, that we would better and better understand, number one, how well we are loved and accepted by you and that that would give us the ability to free up our love for others. We look to you. It's in your son's name. Amen.